there's a great story of the founder of 1-800-Flowers. And he actually started 1-800-Flowers as a side hustle. He was um, an executive director for a boys and girls program. He was making, I think he was making six figures, but he started this as a side hustle. Um, he ended up having a board of directors. And when he, the business crossed like the $3 million mark and it was looking to go they could see the trajectory the next year might be like 25 million and then it was going to go public. The board brought him in and said, you have to quit your job. (laughs) You're still an exec. He said, I can't. He said, this is the only reason this works. He said, if, if I'm here all day, I'll, I'm bound to screw all this up. It'll be way too much time. Mm -hmm. And I love that story because too much time on your hands is, is the greatest um, opportunity for disaster. Hey, this is Achim Novak, executive coach and host of the My Fourth Act podcast. If life is a five-act play, how will you spend your fourth act? I have conversations with exceptional humans who have created bold and unexpected fourth acts. Listen and be inspired. And please rate us and subscribe on whatever platform you are listening on. Let's get started. I am just delighted to welcome Suzanne Evans to the My Fourth Act podcast. Suzanne is a mom, a wife, a sister, an entrepreneur, and a risk taker from North Carolina. Her firm, Driven Inc., blends business, strategy, lifestyle, and storytelling to help people build vibrantly successful businesses. Suzanne's path to her own success is truly exceptional. She went from working as a secretary in Manhattan to surpassing the seven-figure mark in just over three years. Her business hit the Inc. 500 slash 5,000 for five years straight, and she wrote a New York Times bestselling book along the way. I am just scratching the surface here. Suzanne is an inspirational and in-your-face human who has created an extraordinary life for herself and for her family. Hello, Suzanne. Hello, glad to be here. Happy to I'm, be here. I'm glad you're here. So we didn't really know each other in Manhattan, but we sort of kind of crossed paths yeah. by being working for in very different ways in it for a theater company, the creative arts team. Yes. And where I'd love to start is my sense is that theater and performance are very important to you. Would you talk to that? Like, what did you learn from theater? How does performance matter to you? Yeah, well, I'll try not to make the story too long, but I think it does start when I was four, almost turning five. My parents, I'm a seventh generation farm family, and my parents had taken me to the local dinner theater to see Guys and Dolls. I was like, I think almost five, maybe I was five, And um, I was all dressed up. What I thought was exciting was if you went to the ladies room, you could see backstage. Uh And I kept getting back and forth. And so at intermission, this man comes to the table to my parents and says, is that your little girl in the red dress? And they said, yes, I'm sorry. I know she's gotten up a few times. She can see backstage (laughs) when she goes to the bathroom. And they said, well, we're um, having auditions tomorrow for The Sound of Music Uh and she should come. My parents, you know, maybe I'd sang in church a couple of times or something. So my parents took me to the auditions, you know, lots of kids there. Dad said, my dad tells the story. He said, I was shocked how many children were there. I thought the way they ask you, there'd be like 
eight or nine and there were tons of kids. They asked me, they asked most of the kids, like, can you sing something? Kids would sing happy birthday or old McDonald. And they said, can you sing something? And I said, and they said, you know what show this is? It's the sound of music. Could you sing happy birthday? And I said, which song would you like me to sing from the sound of music? (laughs) And they said, oh, okay. Well, which one do you know? And I went, I could do Doe a Deer. I could do Edelweiss. I could do, I was obsessed with the movie. So I had watched all and listened to the record with my cousin. And so I sang one song. They said, thank you. I said, but I would like to do the rest. I practiced all of this. I, I share all of this with you because for two reasons. Number one, so I got the role of Gretel. It was the first professional theater I ever did. And I, I did theater from then on, you know, until I went into college, which I continued to do theater. But honestly, in college kind of went to more of the directing, producing side of things. And I share that for two reasons, because I, as an adult, asked my dad, like, dad, you're a farmer right? Like, how did you, he had a, we, we did everything in the arts, everything. I said, dad, how, where did you even come up with this? You'd never been to really, I think he and my mom on their honeymoon saw Hello Dolly in DC, right? Or something. I was like, but you didn't go to theater. He said, well, here's how I decided to raise children. I decided to raise you. I said, probably the best way you could be a parent is everything you know nothing about entrench them in that. And like, I always get emotional when I tell that story because it's so profoundly wise. And I think how I've lived my entire life and run my business, which is, all right, Suzanne, figure out everything you know nothing about and just, you know, immerse yourself in that. And so it's, I haven't really known a life without like performing arts and art in it. I'm from a very young age, you know, as I said, that's what I did. And before I even had my own child, I think something being in a position of success, I guess I've been in some position of success. People would come to me all the time and say, what advice would you give my children? I'm like, you realize I don't have children, right? <laughs> but no, 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 but you're successful. What? And the number one piece of advice I always get is I said, don't worry about anything else, get them in theater. Because if you can communicate with people, yeah nothing else matters. You know, I'm a believer, by the way. I loved so many things about the story you said, but the thing that really tickled me, Suzanne, is when you said you did one song and you insisted on doing the others. (laughs) 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 This is a lot about you right there, Suzanne Evans. I love that. There were already so many paths I wanted to follow up on that story. But before we get into that in your business, I know you told your story often, but I also know that there will be many listeners who don't know how Suzanne Evans, working as a secretary in Manhattan, went to, within a little over three years, making a million dollars in a business. People say, you just friggin' can't do that, but Suzanne Evans did it. Yeah. Would you give us just a snapshot of how you got from there to there? Yeah, you know... It doesn't make a lot of sense, but I'll paint the picture for you. I worked in the Broadway theater industry. I got a job as an assistant and I'd worked there for about nine years and um, really worked my way up through the organization I was working for. And I wasn't unhappy. I'm, I'm just not an unhappy person. Like you give me the assignment of ditch digger and I'm like, oh, this is like, let's look how we can innovate this, yeah. you know? <laughs> Exactly. Um, But I also knew I was kind of stuck there. And 
the paths that in that industry, I, I won't bore people with the theater industry, but there's only a couple of paths you can take mm-hmm. in the commercial side of it. And neither one of them really interested me super deeply. And I, I was really craving autonomy and just to, you know, I grew up in a family where my dad was a farmer, like the original entrepreneur. And my mother went back and forth. She did some small jobs with my dad and she was a teacher for a time, but really both of them did whatever they wanted to when they wanted to, except unless you had to be moving an irrigation system or cropping soybeans and, you know, (laughs) when they're ready, they're ready. But my point is they, they had freedom. So it was kind of, I was, it's what I kind of grew up in. So I knew I wanted to do something different. I really had a a strong calling to like give back. And so I went through a lot of different iterations. I was like, do I want to be a nurse? Do I want to be a therapist? And I randomly came across coaching. And you know what they say, like the universe starts to align for you. So when I came across coaching, then my wife, Melanie, said, I'm DVRing a show that's about, that has life coaches on it. You should watch it. And it was a morning show called Starting Over. So then I watched that and that got me even more interested in coaching. And then I'm talking to one of the uh, people on the tour, one of the actors on the tour of Annie Get Your Gun one day, which was one of the shows I was working on. And he said, yeah, you know, I do life coaching like on the weekends and when I'm not on tour and it kind of supplements. And so then we start talking about it. So before you know it, I was really interested in this coaching thing. I started a small coaching program to get certified. I started building the business at the same time while working a 60-hour weekday job in the Broadway theater industry. And I built it to six figures in the first year, really as a side hustle. And I built it to a quarter of a million the second year, still as a side hustle working oh, out. Let me stop you because uh, you sort of tossed that out easily. And <laughs> and people are going like, shit, I worked for 10 years and I didn't, I don't, I'm not up to 250. So just... Is it, let me just test some things. Is it your, just to use your business name, your driven nature? What made that manifest for you as quickly as it did? Yeah, I think a couple of things. As my mama would say, unsuccessful people have too much time on their hands. That's number one. One of the reasons I was successful is I was really busy. I was working a 60-hour weekday job, so I didn't have time to wait to, you know, so many business owners live in this perpetual state of getting things ready. And I just couldn't do that. It was like, listen, I, I've got about an hour in the morning before work. I've got a little bit of time at work, quite frankly, when I cheat the job, you know, and spend a little time working on it. And I've got a couple of hours in the evening. That's what I've got. So I don't care if this is light blue and it was supposed to be dark blue, send it out. Yeah. Right. And so there's a great story of the founder of 1-800-Flowers, and he actually started 1-800-Flowers as a side hustle. He was an executive director for a boys and girls program. He was making, I think he was making six figures, but he started this as a side hustle. He ended up having a board of directors. And when the business crossed like the $3 million mark and it was looking to go they could see the trajectory the next year might be like 25 million and then it was going to go public. The board brought him in and said, you have to quit your job. (laughs) You're still an exec. He said, I can't. He said, this is the only reason this works. He said, if, if I'm here all day, I'll, I'm bound to screw all this up. It'll be way too much time. Mm -hmm. And I love that story because too much time on your hands is, is the greatest opportunity for disaster. Because I you love over- that story too. That is that is yeah. fabulous. 
Uh, I want to mention this just because it's in your public yeah. narrative on the website and and I think you're addressing the people that you serve, but you say, you know, I wasn't an obvious success candidate. You describe yourself as fat. I would say a big mm -hmm. girl. You say I was yeah. a lesbian. You're an yeah. out lesbian. It's easy to carry a whole narrative. Well, it's harder for somebody like me, right? I'm yeah. not the Madison Avenue type of success. You know, yeah. I'm not the poster child. Yeah. Did you have to navigate any of that inner stuff or you just said, fuck it, excuse my English? Yeah, yeah. No, I did, of course. I mean, we, you know, I'd be lying if I was like, oh, no, you know, I was fat, gay, and broke. And I thought about all those things. And I thought about being a, you know, a simpleton from a farm family in North Carolina. And my parents in my high school years into my college years had some very, 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 very difficult, aggressive challenging financial problems. And I carried that with me going, oh, I'm going to just probably screw it all up like they did. So yeah, I carried all of those narratives with me, but you know, they were present. But what I was keenly aware of from the beginning is that the worst case scenario was the same scenario I was in now. It's like, what what's going to happen? So this isn't going to work. Okay, well, I've got this. Why I didn't quit my job? I tell people, don't quit your job. You know, this whole like great resignation and people are going, if you're not happy, quit. No, if you're not happy, figure out how to fucking get happy doing what you're doing. Because if you can't get happy doing what you're doing, you will never get happy running your own business. It's too hard. It's too stressful. It's too, too many moving parts. So I stayed in my job because I was fairly clever about it. I was like, I've got, I can pay the bills. I can keep the lights on and I will do live for a few years. I will live my life for a few years like most people won't so I can live the rest of my life like most people can't. I was willing to work 80 hour weeks. I wasn't willing to do that my whole life, right? But I was willing to do it then. So I did have a backup plan. And so that, not a backup plan, but I had financial support. I called my job, my business loan. And I treated it with that level of respect. If I took out a business loan, I would be thinking, how do I pay the bank back? And what is the plan to do that? And I want to, and I treated my job that way. This job is affording me the opportunity to build my own freedom. I better show up, do a damn good job and do it in half the time I used to. So I can have a little spare time to work on the business. Yeah. What a beautiful way to look at it. I love that as well. Yeah. Now, the other thing that strikes me about you, and I want to test this because I could be totally wrong, is that you like to try things, you try new offers, you try new ideas, you're willing to experiment, and you're willing to put it out there. Am I correct in seeing your approach to business that way? Yeah, I think everything's a test. I mean, I have been able to achieve the success that I have with only about 20% of everything I do working. 80% fails. Yeah. So I eat and live. I'm a New York Times bestselling author and employee, you know, 18 employees all off of 20% working. Yeah. And the problem is, is that everything is a volume game. I was talking to a friend who was visiting me this week and he was talking about dating and he was talking about how he hadn't, he was like, I don't know why it's not working out for me. And I said, People go and try to fix themselves around partnering and dating. Mm -hmm. Oh, maybe I'm, I need to work on my inner self, or maybe I need to lose weight. It's a volume game. You date enough people, you will <laughs> land somebody. 
everything's a volume game. So I put a lot of stuff out so that I can hook on to the things that work. And I, I try a lot of things because um, it's also what I tell clients. People are like, I need to get better in my sales conversation, or I need to have a better brand. I'm like, nope, you need to talk to more people because the more people you talk to, the volume game will always pull to your side and every problem will fix itself with volume. It makes total sense. Since we since you talked about dating, even back in the days of Manhattan, you were with your wife, Melanie. So I'm curious uh, because somebody might go, yeah, I empathize with the guy who wants to date. Easy for Suzanne to say all this stuff. She's, she's married. She's a long time married. She doesn't have to worry <laughs> about that part. She can focus on the business. Give us a snapshot of what it's like to be married or be partnered for a long time with the same person, in your case, Melanie Orr, and what it's like to also be in business with that person. Yeah, it's a nightmare, um, but it works. (laughs) 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 Listen, Melanie and I are two feisty, incredibly opinionated fighters. And I mean that sincerely, like I wake up in the morning and I'm like, I'm fighting for the truth. I'm fighting for the answer. I'm fighting for the opportunity. I'm fighting for all of it. And some people go may go, oh, that's exhausting. Well, you got to do you. For me, it's exhilarating because I, I kind of wake up for the fight. Um, and Melanie and I butt heads a lot because we are so opinionated, but we also know who we are. So 90% of the time, we're not taking it personally, right? We're like, she's fighting for her position. I'm fighting for my position. And of course, a lot of times we are on the same page. But for us, I'll tell you, business partnerships don't work unless there's a clear 51%. Somebody has to have one more percent in the game in a business partnership. And in this case, that's me, um, you know, started the business and it's my business. So I defer to her a lot because she will, what I call Swiss cheese, some of my stuff. She, she's great at poking holes in things. And I'll go, okay, I see this. This is right. But sometimes I don't agree. And I'm the 51%. So she, she'll she say it sometimes. She'll go, listen, I'm going to fight you on this. But at the end of the day, I know you'll get to make the decision. But it allows me to see a lot of different perspectives. So we have a lot of respect for each other. There's no separation of work. And it's like we we do our business. We do our kid. We, right. right, We we have my parents to take care of. We have family. We have like, it all just runs together. And on a Saturday, we're putting out a fire in the business on a Saturday at two o'clock. And on a Wednesday at four o'clock, we're taking the day off for massage. You know, so it's, it's the ability to not get into these routines and these traps that make you feel guilty about like, oh, it's us time and it's business time and it's family time and it's kid time. It's like our life is one big pot of goulash and it's delicious. A word from your sponsor. That's me. I invite you to go to the website associated with this podcast, www.myfourthact.com. You will find other equally inspiring conversation with great humans. And you will also learn more about the, the My Fourth Act Mastermind groups, where cool people figure out how to chart their own fourth acts. Please check it out. And now back to the conversation. Another thing that I adore about you, and I'd love for you to speak to this as well, you 
if anybody looks up Suzanne Evans, you know, Suzanne, you're not afraid of the word messy. <laughs> you celebrate the word messy and the fact that life and business are sometimes messy. What have you learned about being messy and moving through messiness? That it's the only way to do it, right? I mean, it's the only way, everything is messy. Like I never, you know, this whole ease and grace, I've just not experienced it. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. I just haven't. It's like, it's all messy. It's all complex and complicated and chaotic. And sometimes you get off easy. And sometimes, you know, I was literally having a massage the other day, talking to the massage therapist and I said, oh my God. And then the, the, I was blood work. And then I was on the phone for two hours. She goes, isn't everything hard? I said, yes, but here's why I'm okay with it. I wake up expecting it to be. And that's not a negative thought thing. That's the like, life is complicated. It's hard. It has a lot of moving parts. It has a ton of complexity to it. And I expect that. And I expect me to be a human who is who has trained myself to navigate that with a smile on my face and a great sense of humor. I don't expect the world to get easier. I expect me to get better. Beautiful. As you were talking, I was thinking again about the when you describe your business, and we'll talk some more about driven as you use the words business, strategy, lifestyle, storytelling. In my mind, I'm very clear about how they are connected in my life. Those are all words that matter to me. But if there's a listener who goes, I'm not sure I know what the intersection of business, strategy, lifestyle, and storytelling is, how would you explain that to that person, Suzanne? Yeah. I mean, I think the easiest way to operate a business that is kind of a personal brand based business, which is my business and most of the people that I work with, is to live your life, capture the stories of living it, hold out the ones that have a great fable or moral moral lesson opportunity or lesson opportunity, and then use that to be the very fixture and the content of your business, right? I really tell people like you, you're overcomplicating it when you try to become a marketing expert. Stop trying to become a marketing expert and become a storytelling expert. Well, how do you become a storytelling expert? You start paying more attention to your life, yeah. right? And you start noticing like people are always like, how do you come up with stories? Well, I got out of bed this morning and drove one place and I could have 10 stories just from my experience of getting out of bed this morning to getting to this interview. People are looking for some big moments of I climbed Mount Everest with one leg. No, the great stories are the cereal in the morning that you poured out and it went all over the table and in your rush to go clean up the cereal because you're hysterical and you're going to be late and it's awful. You turn around and now all the cereal is gone and you're like, the cereal just spilled all over the floor. Where's the cereal gone? And then you turn the corner and your dog is like crouched around the corner and you realize the dog ate all the cereal. Oh my God, is he going to now going to be sick? Isn't this how we live our lives waiting for the next emergency? Now I have an hour long story I can tell. And I can lay out plans of how most people are living their life waiting for the next emergency and how you can live a happier life. Like I'm just using that as an example, but that's the very art of living yeah. is content. What strikes me, uh, this is a belief I have, and I think you just said it, I want to test it, that in the end, you know, your business, marketing, strategy, person, whatever label I want to put on you, there are other people who do that as well, and they're good at it, you're really good at it. And so in the end, what people hire is really you, Suzanne Evans, right, and your stories and your life 
you know, are the narrative of that. And this is why I want to work with Suzanne Evans and not Joe or Sandy or somebody else, right? Right. I hope. Right. I mean, that that's <laughs> the goal. That's the hope. Yeah. Now, part of the lifestyle, you and Melanie have a son. And yes. I have a hunch that your life changed significantly with the arrival of your son. Could you give us a snapshot of how your son has impacted your life? Yeah. I would say I'll give you the logistical snapshot and then the obviously the, the more philosophical and emotional snapshot. You can't get a goldfish and not change your life, right? I mean, you add something and it does. You add a baby in and obviously all of the logistics, the schedule, the lifestyle, all of that, it shifts. But we also were really good at preparing for that. So we weren't these people who were like surprised, like we knew it. And I think that comes from Melanie's brain of running a business. So, you know, we had a lot of support coming in because we knew we had to. I was on the road a lot at that time. We had a big, busy business, a lot of employees that depend on us clients. So I would say it changed our lives logistically in all the ways we thought it would. And we prepared for those. So everything is easier if you plan for it, right? That being said, obviously it's changed our life in that, you know, he's the most fun. I enjoy, I homeschool him. So in addition to running a business. You and do that in your spare time, Suzanne? I do. <laughs> I do. I homeschool him. It's shifted in the sense that a lot of things that used to matter don't matter. Your priorities are always shifting in your life. And for me, I always think about how would this affect Adrian or or when Adrian's an adult and would this, you know, and I just, so it's a barometer that I use for a lot of what goes on in my life and in my world. It allows me to make better decisions. Adrian has allowed me to make better decisions, faster decisions, and feel more clear and certain in the decisions that I make. What a wonderful teacher, huh? Oh, he's the best. Hey, listen, <laughs> oh my gosh, when they say that they send you the teacher, I'm like, okay, can we just let class be out for a little while? Yeah. Can, can we get a summer vacation? <laughs> because you've had different business entities and I love the name of your current business and I love anybody who doesn't know you probably is already figured out that you're pretty straightforward in your face person and Driven Inc. is a very straightforward in your face brand. What do you what do you like most about Driven Inc. and the current business that you have? Um, I do like the simplicity. I read a book um, and took a course about three years ago now. Let's see, Adrian's turning six. So it might have been four years ago now. Um, Kim John Payne, um, mm -hmm. fascinating author. He wrote a book called Simplicity, Simplicity Parenting. Yeah. And I took a course on it. And he's a brilliant educator. In the middle of the course that Melanie and I took, I, she looked at me and she goes, Suzanne, she was like, it's a great course. I've got one page of notes and you've got 15. What are you writing down? <laughs> and I, yeah. it was all about business. I applied his simplicity parenting to my business. And I let go of a lot of things that were making some money, but not making the biggest money in our business. I let go of some team. The business was very complex at that time. Um, and it worked and it, and it was great, but it was complex. And so I think one of the things I like the most right now is the simplicity of it. And we continue to simplify. You know, I love the people that I get to work with. I love the clients that I get to work with. That That's kind of obvious. But 
it being less complex is is the real joyful part well i when i hear the word simplicity and i've been through the same process i sold a business that had a lot more people in it so I, i just applaud you for everything you just said but i also feel like spiritually when we simplify we make room for other things and allow other things to come in. So are there other things that are either organically coming in or that Suzanne goes, I'd love for these things to come in. I'm making room for these. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm not making room for a lot more in the business right now. My goal is really to have a business that serves our clientele and that serves me. Um, I'm always wanting to be served before my clients. That's not a popular opinion, but if I'm not served, they will never be served. So a business that serves me allows me to be on stages. It allows me to do things like I'm doing right here. It allows me to coach. It allows me to teach. It allows me to train. It allows me to manage. I enjoy managing and our clients get served really well and all of that. But, you know, I was just watching something from a colleague of mine. He sent me where he's, you know, opening up the, this whole new division of his company. And I'm like, and that would have really intrigued and inspired me six, seven years ago. And I look at that now and I go, oh, bless his heart. Yeah. Not not because it's not right for him. I'm sure it's right for him. I I totally get it. Totally get it. Yeah. But for me, it's about, you know, how much life can I squeeze into the business? Yeah. Not how much business can I squeeze into my life? Yeah. I hope everybody heard that. There's so much wisdom there. Because I have seen you on stage. I want to go back to we started with theater and uh, you are, and I mean this in a very authentic way, not in a fake way. You are a fantastic performer. You bring the larger version of yourself on stage. You fill the room. And my hunch is that besides it being a, a wonderful business tool, it also really energizes you. So can you give to any listeners who might be going, God, Suzanne sounds great. She has all this energy. I wish I could do half of what she's doing, but like, oh, be on stage and what about being on stage? Do you love and how does that support and energize you? I like attention. (laughs) I mean, I do. Melanie knows like get out of the house and go get some attention because I don't want to give it to you. Right. It's like, I really like attention. I love storytelling. I love to find what moves a room. For me, there is no, you know, we could go way back and get really philosophical, but there's no greater art form than live performance, right? And we can experience art in a million different ways and they can be delicious and wonderful, but live art there's something about it. And so I've never really seen myself as a speaker. Um, I do a lot of events and I've never really seen myself as, um, oh, you know, a business coach who does events. I've always seen myself as an artist. And how can I take all those years? I'm also a people pleaser. And see, I don't think that's negative. I actually think we are living in a world where people don't want to please people enough. I think it's a big problem in the world. The, The last part of that audition when I was Gretel in the Sound of Music was after we sang all the songs, the director, Mylon Barr, who my family became very good friends with, sat, I guess what he would think, like the top 10 kids on the stage. And he said, he took a piece of chalk and drew X's on the stage. And he said, sit on your X until I come back. And when he came back, like five minutes later, there was only two of us sitting on the X, me and another little girl. 
And he told my parents later, obviously, if a kid can't follow directions, it's very hard to direct them a show. And that came from people. I always wanted to please my parents. I wanted to please teachers. To this day, I want to please an audience, right? Mm-hmm. And people who are a bit of people pleasers, I'm not talking about the detrimental type that's yeah. ruining your life. And But if you really love pleasing people, you're never unhappy. I've got next week, I know this is going to, the recording, this is going to come out later, but when we're recording this, I've got yeah. 21 people coming to my house next week for mm-hmm. vacation here in Maine, where I am in Maine. Yeah. And I've spent hours, I'm talking about days, like when they arrive, there will be a bag. The bag will have a towel in it with their name embroidered on it. They will have sunscreen. I spend days putting things together that please people, even in my in my social, personal life. Why? There's nothing that brings me more joy than seeing someone pleased. And when people are pleased, they pass the pleasing on. You made me think about, I was for a brief while, for two, three years, I was an Airbnb super host. And I, I loved, and I discovered the part of me that wanted to really take care of my guests, right? And it was extremely satisfying. So I so relate to you. I want to just maybe start wrapping up with one question that's emerging as I'm listening to you. You do such a fabulous job of sort of taking down some what I call sacred cows about how we grow business and this is what you have to do and da 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 and uh, and I think part of your success is that you say we screw this shit right and uh, so what is one other if you think about this is a sacred cow that everybody is told that this is what you have to do if you want to be successful but you Suzanne have learned from me no I didn't do that I didn't. Have I um I didn't do it the way anybody else did it. No. I just didn't care. And here's why. I was sitting in a meeting when I worked in the Broadway theater industry and it was Drew Hodges. He's a brilliant marketing he, he used to own a company called Spotco which is a big advertising company for Broadway theater industry. And he said in the meeting, we just got a pizza hut this. And everybody seemed to know what he was talking about. Yeah. And afterwards, I was like, Drew, if you just have a second, what, what is Pizza Hut? Anyway, what I learned in that meeting was Pizza Hut has really only ever sold one thing. Now they've got some wings of pizza. But think about just in the last six months what you've heard about. They will stuff the crust. They will garlic the crust. They will thick it. They will thin it. They will meat it like meat lovers. They will vegetarian it. They, they have a thousand iterations of pizza. The reason people struggle in business is they go from pizza to hamburgers, to hot dogs, to lobster rolls, to chicken sandwiches. And you stick with the pizza and you paint it a million different colors and you constantly reinvent it and you constantly evolve it and you constantly go, oh, somebody said they'd love more pepperoni. Let's do that. So I've decided I'm not going to do business how anybody else in our industry does it. And I'm going to only watch people outside of our industry. So I would pizza hut it. Or I started, this was about six, seven years ago, a highly successful launch I did came from two women who started a fitness app. And I saw the way that they did something and I integrated it into a challenge that we did in our business. So if you want to be successful, don't look inside of what an industry in which everybody's trying to mimic each other. Yeah. Look outside of your industry for what other people are doing that you can bring into your industry. And then you're always an innovator. So I don't know if that's a 
appropriate answer to your question, Akeem. But for me, I was like, if I do this like everybody else, I'll be bored. I'll be too competitive. And I'm a competitive person. Mm -hmm. But there's an unhealthy competition when you're trying to model everybody else. So I had to find my own way so I could go faster. Clear. So I can't imagine there aren't listeners who are going, God, I want to learn more about Suzanne Evans and Driven Inc. and the work she does. And I want to be clear, everybody listens, if if you have an inkling about wanting to launch a business, Suzanne has been ridiculously successful and she helps people do that. Where do people, where should they go to learn more about you, Suzanne? Yeah, thank you for asking that. So two things that they can do. They can always just go to Driven Inc., not like the tattoo, I-N-K. We don't do tech tattoos. DrivenIncInc.com. That's our website. You'll find a lot of great information. And then for those listening to the podcast, we have a gift for you, which I'd, I'd love to share. And it's Suzanne's Gift, S-U-Z-A-N-N-E-S. G-I-F-T, Suzanne's Gift. And that is a free ticket to come to our next event. Our next event will be, yeah, in November. It's a brand new event Mm. um, that we have never done before. It's called Captivate Live. And it's Uh learn how to captivate a room, captivate a viewer, and captivate a reader so that you never lack for clients. So there'll be a link. No, Akeem, we'll get to the link. Yeah, we'll promote it. Uh now, you and I hang out in a world where people know about events, but some of my listeners might go, what the heck is she talking about? Live event. Can you give us a snapshot? How long is your event? How many people yes. will show up? Because some of our listeners had never been to that sort of Okay, event. great. No, that's a, that's a really fair question. So I hold three-day events. They're virtual. So that's the good news is, is they're virtual. You don't have to leave your home. You can be anywhere in the world to attend. And they are three days. And we usually go from about 10 Eastern Standard Time till into the night. And it is step-by-step what you need to captivate a room, captivate a reader for for this event, captivate an audience so that you get attention, you get more leads, you get more clients, you get more speaking gigs, you get more PR, you get more, you get a book deal, you know, everything you can imagine to captivate who you are going after so that you can build your business larger and serve more people. And um, it's very interactive. We've been talking about theater. We've been talking about performance. So you can imagine my events are, they really are productions and shows more than an event, but you're going to walk out of there with a plan to add six or seven figures to your bottom line, not through complicated, expensive marketing funnels or tactics, but through understanding how every great business leader in the world has actually become successful. And it is through understanding the art of being captivating. So the customer comes to you over someone else. I believe in every single thing you just said, Suzanne. (laughs) I want to just thank you for the gift of your energy, which is ridiculously awesome and big and inspiring. And I want to thank you for being just such a great role model of hope for individuals and the world. So I honor you and I'm glad that you've been a guest. Thank you for having me. You know how much I adore you and I just appreciate, I was honored to be asked. So. Thank you for having me. Bye for now. Like what you heard? Please go to myfourthact.com and subscribe to receive my updates on upcoming episodes. Please also subscribe to us on the platform of your choice. Rate us, give us a review, and let us all create some magical fourth acts together. Ciao.